Latter-day Saint Home Educators is pleased to bring you this audio presentation recorded live during the February 2023 online Midwinter Home Education Conference. I'm talking today about a subject that they asked me to speak about, but I feel very strongly about it. Um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about my family. Uh, this is my kids when they were still all under my roof before the oldest went off to live his life. And, um, you know, I homeschooled all of them. And my youngest is now 17. So that's, you know, kind of my journey in a in a nutshell with with homeschooling. More of that will, you know, come out as we go. But I want to you know, just share with you the big lie that I bought into. And it's all part of the public school mentality. And it's the it's the lie that keeps us playing the game, okay? Um, and, and the lie is that you study hard and you get good grades so that you can get into a good college. And then you go there and you study hard and you get good grades so that you can get into a graduate school where you will study hard and get good grades so that you can get a job in a cubicle where you will work hard um, until you retire. And to say that I bought into this lie would be the understatement of the century. I did all of those things. I have a master's in business administration and I went to work in a cubicle and I played the corporate ladder game and, um, you know, just, thought this was the, the pinnacle of all my years of hard work, when in reality it was meaningless and, um, and sort of, uh, I'm not gonna say a waste of time. I, you know, there were, there were good things that came from it like anything else in your life, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't fulfilling. It wasn't, it wasn't meaningful. And so I want to, I want to share with you a historical story that will help us to understand that sometimes the change in the way we look at something kind of does change everything. Okay. So this is Copernicus. He's the dude that taught us that the, uh, that the earth is not the center of the universe, that the, you know, that the sun is the center of the solar system and was pilloried and punished and, you know, suffered as a result of his revealing a truth. So sometimes you may feel like that when you're a homeschooler, right? But when it was accepted, when this idea was accepted, it didn't actually change anything, right? People still went about their lives. They still got married. They still had children. They still had jobs. They still did, you know, their lives, but it did change everything because it changed thinking, it changed religion, it changed politics, government. You know, the, the, the earth being the center of the universe had been held so, you know, held to so rigorously for about 2000 years that having that shift um, was in fact a thought revolution. So I'm just kind of hoping that as we talk about some of the ways in which you know, we are handcuffed by our experience in 
and having you know been through a public school education ourselves or or certainly have have having lived in the air that um that the public school has permeated uh that we can have some shifts that help us to become more in tune with and in touch with our children our families the needs that that we have there and so i'm going to share i'm going to share some insights about how to do that some of the most what i think are some of the most important fundamental things to do but i think before we talk about those insights it's important to share the concept of why we're educating you know like everybody agrees you're not going to find anybody unless maybe they're in prison or something you're not going to find anybody who says you know education isn't important but you know when you ask them what for what what is education for then it's a then it's an interesting phenomenon i actually recently was speaking to a group of like 12 or so uh homeschooling teens and a lot of them were fairly new to homeschooling um but some of them weren't but anyway i just asked them you know what what is education for and almost all of them answered to get a job okay i mean unprompted by me it was either to get a job or to get a better job or whatever and that is something that has come as a result of a public school mentality that that the purpose of education is to get a job yes we do have to support ourselves and sustain ourselves but that is not actually the reason why we want to get a great education so you have to kind of think about that question yourself because it will allow you to let go of some of the things that have you know entrapped you in um in sort of some of the the handcuffs i i call them golden handcuffs <clears throat> that came from you know following that path of, of of what education for is for so i want to just tell you about this little university experiment that was not an official experiment but one professor um decided to do away with grades to just see what would happen he told his students there'd be no grades and he said the student's biggest problem was a slave mentality that had been built into him by years of carrot and whip grading a mule mentality which said if you won't whip me i won't work and the cart of civilization which he was supposedly being trained to pull was just going to have to creak along a little slower without him so it was kind of interesting you know the the kinds of reactions that he was getting and he had this interesting conclusion he said the purpose of abolishing grades and degrees is not to punish mules or to get rid of them but to provide an environment in which that mule can be can turn into a free man so that was a copernican revolution to me reading about this in the zen and the art of motorcycle maintenance because we you know if, if i look back on my you know i went to private schools until high school i i you know went to a private university actually i went to byu and then i went to a, a state university for my masters and i jumped through the hoops and i did the stuff and i learned to be a really really good test taker 
and figure out what the professor wanted, right, or what the teacher wanted to hear on in my paper, on my on my exam. And I got really good at really what is a game. And we all know, you know, that feeling of learning to to take a test, right? And then you pass the test and you kind of forget everything you ever learned. And how unrewarding that is, right? So um, this is different. This is a different way of looking at education. And in homeschooling, you have the opportunity to do things differently. I, I went to the trouble as I was preparing this to come up with a, a definition of my, I'm not, not a definition, an answer of my own. Okay, so this is my answer. The purpose of education is to help a person become self-aware without bias or excuse, competent and capable in the real world, effectively interdependent and community-minded, and concerned with his or her own role in serving humanity. Now, that's pretty complex. There's lots of layers to that. You know, there's lots of depth to it. I mean, I didn't come to that, you know, definition of what an education is lightly. But I will point out, whether or not you agree with it is fine, but I will point out that it would be impossible to do this in the 18 years you have your children at home, right? One of the most important things we can do is to evaluate why we're educating, but also to recognize that giving our student, our students and our children uh, the opportunity to learn how to learn and to love learning, those are the things that, that, that they can take with them the rest of their lives as they continue on a journey of, of self-improvement, as they continue to you know, read and understand and question. And it's gonna take, you know decades to to be able to have the self-government to have the self-awareness to to reach this this kind of an education but I, I you know I really encourage you to to come up with your own because that will be important in how you um how you proceed in your in your daily in your daily schooling and your and your family life so I'm going to share five insights that will help you make the shift from being a slave to that mentality and then also to uh, give you comfort and direction as you as you tackle the you know the the various questions that are before you. All right, so we're going to do this in kind of a choose your own adventure zone, okay? I'm going to share these insights. I'm going to talk a little bit about each one, and then there's going to be, uh, yellow boxes on the side that have numbered ideas or insights on ways that you can use that insight in your life. So I'd like you to put in the chat box if you want to hear more about one of those. And our friendly moderator will will be um, watching the chat box for me and telling me a number to do. And if nobody answers anything, then she'll be telling me one that she that she wants to hear more about. So it gives you a chance to sort of personalize this, this presentation to you. So the first insight is to let go of the mentality that you can't meet, and I'm going to emphasize or exceed the public school outcomes. A lot of times people start homeschooling and it's like it feels like 
of free fall, like they're just, you know, falling off a cliff or something. And it's because they think that they are going to ruin their children and they don't know how to do this. Right. And it's very, very easy to start looking at, you know, all the possibilities of, of, of the ways to fail instead of looking at all the ways in which you can make a difference in your kids' lives that, you know, no other teacher has the care, you know, the absolute stewardship and desire for our children's success. So they, they have certainly found in research that, that homeschooling outcomes are not dependent on a person's you know, own, own um, educational achievement. You know, I, I hear a lot of times, oh, well, you could homeschool, you know, because like I said, I have a, a master's degree, but it has nothing to do with, I don't draw on my master's degree in finance, you know, very much to teach my children. So anyway, you can do this. I, I mean, absolutely, you have to let go of this idea that they can do it because they're professionals and you're not. So, Nicole, do we have any uh, any numbers in the chat box or would you like to hear from one, one particular? So we have number six. I don't have the patience. Oh, that is, I've, I've had so many people say that to me. Um, I remember, you know, just in the early years of, of my homeschooling, it was super weird. Nobody did it. And, you know, it was almost like, I don't know, I wasn't shaving my armpits and was raising goats or something. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but you know, it wasn't my, my deal. I was just living in a suburb homeschooling my children. And that was the most common reason people told me that they didn't do it as they didn't have the patience. And I thought to myself, okay, being a parent takes patience that we often don't have, right? Being a um, being a a spouse takes patience. And how do you get patience? I mean, I suppose there are people who are born with it. I wasn't one of them. But how do we get patience? We get it through practicing. You know, we get it through having things that frustrate us learning to self-regulate, learning to meter our thoughts and filter what comes out of our mouths, right? And, and, to, um, and to see our kids as human beings that are trying, you know, human beings that are, are giving it their best shot, this, this thing called life. So there's moments, you know, I don't know. I like to be real. There are moments when I have not been patient. And there have been moments that, you know, that I'm not proud of, right? But I am a much more patient person because I homeschooled than I would have been if I, had, if I hadn't. I know that for a fact, because it requires, and, you know, this is a class in and of itself, but it requires you to, you know, do a 24-7 job. And, and it's hard to be patient all the time. You know, the baby was up all night and you're and you're tired and yet you still have your six-year-old and your nine-year-old or whatever. And you know what I mean? Like life has to, has to continue on. 
So if you feel like, well, I'm not patient enough to do this, then, you know, know that that's half of that is, is being, um, giving yourself some grace, right. And allowing for the fact that you are growing in this experience as well as your children and learning to, you know, be patient in the, in the realms of, of, uh, of their, of, you know, their moments, right. Their temper tantrums, their whining, their, you know, demanding or ingratitude or whatever trigger is for you start to recognize those triggers have, you know, have grace with yourself when you, when you fail, apologize to your children, but know that if patience is something that you're seeking after, I'm going to say there's no better school than homeschool to teach that. So again, there's a lot, there are a lot of legitimate reasons why people don't homeschool, but this one is basically saying, I'm not willing to do the work I'm not willing to get a mentor. I'm not willing to read the book to grow the patience that I need to be a full-time parent. Because when you homeschool, that's what you've chosen. You said, I'm going to take all the responsibility of parenting. I'm not going to offload any of it, you know, or, or maybe very little of it to outside mentors or outside classes or whatever. But, you know, you're saying, I'm going to take it on. And patience is one of the things that we're going to grow out, get, get to grow out of the experience. So thank you for whoever asked that. Kathy, right. may, oh, yes. Before you go on, if you have time, can you address two other ones that came into the chat as well? How, how about one more? Because <laughs> I, I don't want to like miss, you know, later. All right. One more. Um, number three, what will happen when my kid has passed my math ability? And specifically, we have um, someone here who has a 17 year old and isn't going as fast as he wants and is almost trigonometry and has been for a full 12 months. So what would you consider? So um, I'm always grateful when my children pass my math ability. I don't think math is one of my strongest suits. Um, but one of the things that I, that I've already shared is that we want to have a, have a child who is um, self learning, right. That they can, that they can tackle a subject that, that you know not, nothing about. So math is one of those subjects that they can find the resources to, to learn on their own. You can, you can use Khan Academy, you know, you can, you could, there are resources, you know, everywhere, right? We, we live in the internet age, so there's resources everywhere, but you can also um, get a mentor for them. You know, there's, there's, there's reasons to spend money on outside mentoring and that might be one of them. I'm, I'm fortunate because I was always able to just sort of you know, take them up through like pre-algebra, the beginning of algebra, and then hand them off to my husband, who's an engineer. I know not everybody has that, but maybe you have a, an uncle or a grandfather or somebody who's, who's automatically invested in your children who would like to see them be successful. Or if he's 17, you know, there's usually community college courses you can put them in where they get, you know, the outside instruction. At that point, they're self, they should be self-directed and finding the, the resources that they that they need. Um, if your kids are younger and math is really a struggle for you, and you know, you know that this is a, a deficit, then consider trading with another, another mom. You have some genius, right? You have some way of helping um helping her kids. And and you know, you, you can do some kind of a trade like that, or 
or community, you know, community homeschool co-op-y kinds of experiences. Um, there's, there's, a, there's almost always somebody around. If you open your eyes and just sort of like ask the question, who do I know who would be a good mentor for my kid? And, you know, accept the fact that you are not everything. You know, we, we all have limitations and, and accepting that and knowing that we may need to put some resources into our children who excel at something that we're not good at. So hopefully that, you know, helps to kind of give you some ideas. Um, but math seems to be the one, right? Very few people say, well, I don't know if I can homeschool. I'm not, I'm not a good reader, you know, but math seems to kind of trip us up a little bit um, because, you know, so many of us got to a certain point and then either forgot what we learned after that or, you know, never used it or whatever. So if you have a child who's, you know, destined for engineering or medicine or something and they need to have solid math, um, you know, a solid math education that you can't give them, then outsource that and no guilt, right? No guilt. We're just um, doing the best we can with, with what we've been given. And that's, you know, that's one of the things that might happen in, in one or more, in one or more area, but a lot of times they can teach themselves. And that's what's so wonderful about, about uh, education in general. So once you learn how to learn, so pedagogy, pull out our $5 word, the method or practice of teaching, okay? So you're, you're going to be deciding a lot of things, and one of them is what your pedagogy is, you know? You, you have to decide what to teach. You know you want them to learn these certain things, these certain subjects, these certain disciplines. You know you want them to be exposed to these, you know, music or dance or whatever, but you also have to decide how you're going to teach, all right? So we all know this, this dude is lecturing, right? We all know this pedagogy because we lived with it um, throughout our own educations. I know some of you may have been homeschooled and so if you can't relate to the things I'm saying, then um, that's one thing, but most of us got plenty of lecture in our, in our education, right? But that is only one of the environments of, of learning, one of the ways in which to teach. So my second insight is to just try to find as many ways to teach as you possibly can. When we think of school, and a lot of new homeschoolers do this, they come to their homeschooling with the public school mentality of we need desks, we need you know, a, I don't know, a bulletin board with colorful, you know, months of the years or, or whatever, you know what I mean? Like we have this visual, we need a whiteboard or chalkboard because th this is the only way that there is to teach. And I'm just going to say that if you're honest with yourself, the amount of, amount of knowledge that you can recall from lectures is very small right? We, we, I, I, I can't even imagine how many thousands of hours I spent in lectures and how little of it is actually retained. So I think there's a place for lectures. I'm kind of doing one now, right? Like I would love for us to be in the same room and be discussing these things, but 
there's a place for it. And it's usually because you've brought in an expert who has information to give, and it's not some kind of a long-term commitment. That's the best place for a lecture is information that, you know, can't, can't be delivered in another form, or that's the best way to deliver it for whatever reason. But there's so many, many, you know, so many other ways and environments in which to teach. And I found that when I was able to make this shift from, oh, I have to be standing in front of the whiteboard because I did all the mistakes, right? I tried to do school at home. Um, there's many reasons why that doesn't work. But I, I felt guilty about time spent doing other things when there was more learning going on in those other things. You know, you take something like a field trip, right? And you take your kids to, I don't know, a farm or a factory or whatever. They're seeing something real and asking questions and experiencing the thing. That is going to lead to more learning and more growth than you standing up and just, you know, talking, talking to them, right? So look around your life and ask yourself, am I teaching in the kitchen, you know, or are we doing fractions when we, when we're, when we're cooking, am I talking about various subjects that are interesting to my kids when I'm driving around? Are we, you know, are we listening to audiobooks? Are we right? Like, are we doing some of these things that, that allow for not life naturally to teach them? Um, the, a lot of the things that we force the learning on actually does more damage than, than good. I mean, I can, I can talk about this in writing. Um, when we force writing, because we're afraid, you're, we're usually motivated by fear. We're afraid they're never going to learn how to write. And so we're forcing it, right? Well, I've mentored enough teens and adults in writing. That's one of the things that I do is I, I do writing coaching, to know that the damage from that is way, way worse than kind of coming to it a little later. So anyway, hit me up if you want a webinar about that, about writing. Um, I teach a webinar from Lemmy about teaching writing organically, but many people are scarred and feel like they have nothing to say, or they aren't a good writer because they were kind of compelled in that in that subject. So that's an example. You know, teach teach your children how to write by, I don't know, like making grocery lists, having them tell you a story and you write it down and just make it an organic process. They will learn. Um, they will learn how to write. If you're writing and if you're encouraging it and giving them opportunities to write a letter to grandma, you know what I mean? That they will eventually pick it up and I, when I say like they will eventually pick it up, please know that my oldest didn't read until he was 12 and most of them didn't read until they were about seven, eight, nine. So I know all about the, the stress that comes with my kids not doing the thing and what are people going to think? So anyway, that would be an example of finding lots of different ways to, to teach. So Nicole, what, what is our number here? Okay, so 
let's go with number let's go with number five all right so my uh my good friend heather Klinger, she uh she used to teach these lessons and and she named one of them um the i think it was the the lesson is the dirt okay so you probably already know this, but developmentally, children learn their their best learning environment is through play. Adults, we kind of forgot how to play, right? It's like feels more forced, but they are learning through play, and they are learning through an interaction with the natural world, both the natural world, like you know, dirt and water and what have you but also the natural world of consequences, the natural world of social interactions. So if you, um, if you kind of think of school as only, you know, when the book is open, right? Then you miss out on all kinds of other opportunities. I had two boys first and then, and then four girls. And so especially for my boys, they were outside most of the time we lived, you know, kind of like out in the country and, you know, we had a trampoline, a swing, a pool and tons of dirt. Oh, and chickens and rabbits sometimes. And you know what I mean? We had some animals. So they spent almost all their time out there climbing the tree, you know, jumping on the trampoline and my girls too. But I mean, with my boys, it was, it was definitely, um, it was definitely a thing. And I thought, it would have been cruel, especially one of my sons, it would have been cruel and unusual punishment to stick him in a desk all day, right? So do I not count any of that as learning? I'm going to say no. I'm going to say when your children are playing and having natural consequences, when they're learning to get along with their siblings or their neighborhood friends or whatever, that that, that counts, you know? Um, that counts as 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 growth. I'm going to say one more thing about this getting outside and experiencing the dirt thing. Um, we tend to keep our children too safe. Okay. Um, we, we tend to want to insulate them from anything that might, um, you know, might possibly harm them. And then when you homeschool, there's this other insulation of safetyism. And then when you're a member of the church, there's another level of, you know, keeping them safe. And I love Jordan Peterson. He has a rule called a book called 12 rules for life. And one of the, one of his rules is, um, I think it's let children skateboard or, or in my, the book is actually right next to me. Um, don't stop your children if they're skateboarding because they need to encounter um, you know, within reason, you know, some danger because that's how they test themselves and that's how they feel capable. And that's how they, um, how they actually build self-esteem. You know, we think we can just tell them, oh, you're such a good boy and that they'll have self-esteem, but it's actually in the, in the overcoming of obstacles you know, kids actually look for their level, look for their limits on danger 
And if we're constantly hovering over them and protecting them, we actually are grooming their little brains to, um, you know, sort of live in the basement when they're 20. So you have to give them, you have to give them some, some space to, to do that, some space to grow and some space to change and challenge themselves, especially challenge themselves. So anyway, all those things are lessons. And if you, you know, if you discount those, then you're going to end up feeling like a failure, especially if you have late readers, especially if you have, you know, these sort of like children that, that don't become scholastic when they're six, which, you know, most, well, none of mine did. So anyway, I know that they exist. Um, some kids are, are, you know, they love the worksheet or whatever, and they loved, you know, to sit down and, and read books at, at five or six years old, but I didn't ever have that. And then I look at the other end of the spectrum and they all turned out just fine on the whole, like being competent, capable um, people. So we, the public school, one of the terrible things that the public school system did to children, whether they're in school or not, is create this idea that there's a normal, you know, you have to be grade level um, mentality. And it, and it just isn't so. In fact, I'm going to share just one story real quick that popped into my head. My daughter, who, um, you know, is in college and married and happy and successful, um, she said to me when she was about 14, she said, you know, mom, I used to be embarrassed in Sunday school because I couldn't read the scriptures as good as everybody else. But now I'm actually a better reader than those same kids. And I thought, well, you know, that's what happens, you know, when you let a kid develop at their own rate. So anyway, I'm kind of far afield of, of number five with that story. But my point is, is that we can, we can look at a lot of different things as learning and know that we're developing the whole human being and not just, um, and not just their intellectual side. So I want to talk a little, little minute before the next insight about success. We tend to have on the left side, I'm sort of representing the, you know, insta-worthy um, corporate ladder, you know, kind of a, of a look at success. And it's really about achieving, right? Um, even, even our social media tends to be about, you know, the attention seeking, getting the most views, the most likes, the most shares, you know, whatever. When we go into the, into a corporate environment, it is all about, it's a dog eat dog kind of hierarchical achievement oriented world. Okay. And, you know, it's, it is what it is, but on the right side is my, is what I call my touchstone um, piece of art. And it's called the ascent, and and you can see the you know for a Latter Day Saint we can see the the symbolism there. We're going toward the light, right? the 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 steps are rough hewn; they're not easily traversed. They're uneven. They're you know just a tripping hazard, we'll say. But what is everybody doing? Everybody is looking to the person behind them, and and offering a hand, helping to pull somebody up. And if you can change your paradigm to that as being success, as opposed to 
high ACT score, Harvard admittance, you know, law firm um, partner. If you can change your paradigm of success, then you're going to get out of the public school mentality all the easier. So my insight for that is to focus more on character than curriculum. Okay. What we tend to be all like, oh my gosh, my kid's in third grade. What science should I do? And, you know, spending hundreds and hundreds of dollars on curricula. And, you know, I don't know about your curricula. Mine, you know, I'd use it for a month and it would just sit on the shelf the rest of the year. So anyway, if you focus on character, give your, give your children opportunities to serve, to, um, you know, visit the lonely, you know what I mean? Like actually doing, doing some character building things when you, when you have your focus on, on growth through scripture study, when you have, uh, this idea that we are good people first, and that's more important than being smart, you know, we are going to be successful in raising, you know, the kinds of human beings that put their hand out to the person behind them. So what, what is our number here? Who, who has a number? So here we have three or eight. So I guess let's start with three. Okay. So add some kind of regular service. Yeah. I, um, I love service, you know, just as a, as a human being on, on the planet, I feel like we earn our space, you know, the air we breathe, the water that we use, you know, we're earning our space when we make the world a better place and, and that all education should be focused towards the idea of, of improving the lot of humanity in some way. Right. So that has to be worked in. Um, you know, you probably have ministering assignments that you can include your children in, um, you know, let's bake cookies for sister so-and-so, right. Uh, you also can look for more, you know, like institutional kinds of ways to serve, you know, in your local community. Uh, one of the projects that I've done with the homeschoolers in um, in my community here in Utah is uh, these mats that you can make out of like uh, sleeping mats that you can make out of old grocery bags, and um, they raise the temperature of the of the person uh, person sleeping situation like thirty degrees or something. So they you know they they can be life saving. They're used for homeless individuals or or refugees or whatever. And so that was like a organized invite other people kind of service project. You can do those kinds of things. I mean, you don't want to do those every day, right? Because they're exhausting, <laughs> but occasionally having some kind of a humanitarian kind of effort, it counts. I guess that's one of the things I really want you to walk away from this presentation is that the things that you're doing in your regular everyday life, they count. You know, yeah, we learned a few little skills about how to take grocery bags, cut them just so and connect them just so and weave them just so right like there's a there's a method to this so they learned a, a little skill that they will probably never use again in their life, uh, but they learned a skill, but most importantly, they, you know, they reduced the trash, you know, they found a new way to reuse, they 
they uh, helped an individual person. They, in fact, it was interesting. I, you know, these were almost all teens. Some families came with smaller children, but but the teens would talk about, you know, how how great it would be for this person who was going to get it. And I thought that's character, right? And so you can look for things that, you know, from time to time, throw in um, a, a service project of some kind and also within your home, serving each other. You know, that's that's very, um, you know, you can just start little little traditions of leaving notes on their bed or, or encouraging them to make each other's bed or whatever. So just the, the, count it, count it as school, count it as education. Um, number eight is, is I'm going to just briefly say that this is core book means, you know, the, the, the book your family looks to for truth. So we have the scriptures and the, the scriptures are our core book and they allow us to make decisions in our lives and compare our, our choices to those choices of, of the people in the scriptures. If you happen to not have scriptures, if that's not one of the things that is part of your family culture, find a book that is um, like that for you that you can look to. I, I can recommend uh, the 12 Rules for, for Life book. I can recommend um, Thou Shall Prosper by Daniel Lappin. Um, I can recommend Stephen Covey's work, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People and The Eighth Habit. Those can all be, those can all be core books if, if scriptures are not part of your family culture. So one of the things that the public school did for us was it created expectations um, about what kinds of experiences our student, our children will have, and um, and created like um, the possibility of a void, right? Where if you always okay, well, here's an example. Um, when my kids were little and I was first homeschooling, like I said, almost nobody did it. And on Valentine's Day, I would you know, have my kids make Valentines and we'd make cookies and we'd deliver them to all of our, you know, friends in the ward or, or whatever, the people that they knew in our neighborhood and that sort of thing. And one year we'd done this for a couple of years. My son was maybe like eight or something. And he said, he said, you know, this is fun and all. Um, he said, but nobody ever brings any to us. And I was like, gut punch. Because man, I had grown up exchanging Valentines in school, right? And so I cannot even begin to emphasize enough the importance of finding or creating a community for your family. Um, it's it's some work, you know. There's some effort involved in in uh, creating a community or or contributing to one that already exists. But there is just no no um no substitute for the for the support that that creates for your family and it and for your especially for you because you are kind of walking a path less traveled you know a road less traveled if we're going to be all robert frost-ish and we want to um you know, we want to be doing it right. We want to feel like we're not alone in the world. So community is, 
is very, very important. I mean, when I look back, it's the, you know, the most important thing that, that kept me in it for the long haul. Um, I'll take a number in just a second, but when I was a young mom, you know, starting and leading a community and I had just little kids, there were a couple of people who joined us who had older, you know, had teens and I didn't have teens yet. So I was focused all, you know, like little kid experiences. Right. And what I noticed was the, the teens parents were trying to create social experiences for them. And I, I'm, I'm the queen of party planning. So don't, you know, don't get me wrong. Social experiences are really important. Um, but they were trying to like, they were desperately trying to keep their kids wanting to homeschool. So they were like thinking, oh, I just have to throw a prom. Well, it's really hard to, you know, feel like you're part of something if, if you're just occasionally going to a social experience with probably a rotating group of kids. So those older teens, you know, in this, in my young years of, of homeschooling, those older teens almost all went back to school or to school for the first time because they couldn't take it. Whereas like my kids grew up with their peers in the same community and they, um, and they had, you know, their, their teen group when, when that was so important, especially to have a teen learning environment. Anyway, what's our number here? So our number here is number three. Okay. Oh, yeah. Community becomes real when your life hits a rough patch or when you can lift others during theirs. You know, we talked a little bit about this in the service area as a general concept. Um, I can think of times when, for instance, one, one mom her, I don't know, 19 year old. So she hadn't even been part of our homeschool. That, that girl had not been part of our homeschool community. Um, she, she came down with stage four cancer and, um, you know, just had the basic student insurance and it was a tough, tough time for them. And so our community just banded together and did a fundraiser and did it make all the difference in their financial situation? No, I think we, you know, get got a couple thousand dollars, but it made all the difference in their family situation, right? Because they felt supported. Um, you know, I can just think of just I look back over, you know, I've been homeschooling for over 25 years, and I look back and the, you know, the divorce, the unexpected death you know, those times when a mom was like at her wits end, um, the, the community was there, you know, we, we supported each other and we, and we helped each other out. So I don't know. I, 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 I am probably, you know, a number one fan on, on the whole community thing. I think that our society is, is definitely lacking. I think in the church, we are, very fortunate to have wards, right? Where, where we care and look out for each other. But my kids did not always have a peer group in the ward. So anyway, it's not about, about the, the number five, but it is, I mean, number three, but it is 
indicative of the fact that your teens especially need a peer group who are doing the same thing that that they're doing and and who have positive peer pressure to excel you know to take education seriously to be excited to share what they're learning anyway so we as we as moms especially um we go through stuff and if you're struggling with you know depression if you are you know you have if you have a, a network of of other homeschooling families you can you can help each other you can ask for help you can you can offer help um you know a new baby even there's uh there's something to be said for people who are who are behind you in these moments when you know it's just a little hard to to manage everything and and uh and they're there for you so yeah that's I have a heart for that question. All right, speaking of overwhelmed, <laughs> it's uh, it's pretty easy, especially if you're new, to feel like you have to do everything, to feel like you don't know how to do everything, you know, just to be overwhelmed. The other thing that's very easy to do is to think that you're the first person to have ever, I don't know, taught phonics or whatever, and to feel like you have to, you know, reinvent the wheel. So my fifth insight is to seek mentoring. The, the value of a mentor is that they have walked the path before you. Congratulations on coming to LDSHE online midwinter um, conference because you are seeking mentoring by coming to, to this conference. And that's fantastic because it shows that you have the the humility, right? To not think that, that, you know, everything and you've been, and you've done everything. So we want to, we want to look for mentors in our lives and, you know, you're fortunate that many, many people have homeschooled before you, you know, the back in the day, as we old people like to say, um, that, that wasn't necessarily the case. So look to those who have something to offer you and, um, and then submit to the mentoring. Yeah, that would be my my suggestion. You can you can pay mentors. Um, you can also find them in your in your circle, and you can also find them in books. You know, movies, videos, podcasts. So so seek it because your continual growth is vital for you to to do this for the long haul. So was there anything on this slide that I guess I didn't put a number on be wary of the anonymous mentor. Sometimes I, I'll just talk about that while, while you pick a number. Um, sometimes I'll see people post in, in the homeschooling groups um, speaking definitively, like they know exactly how to do it. And I will happen to know, you know, that their, that their home life is a mess. So anyway, just be, be wary, you know, like take, take, from you know, from an anonymous mentor who you don't know their you know their success story or their credentials or whatever you know that you're looking for, um, just be wary of that. So anyway, do we have a number? Number three can give you accountability. Okay, so a mentor will help you set goals. You know, somebody who's a formal mentor, I should say, will help you set goals and help you. Um, you know, determine if those goals will fit within the life that you have. 
a lot of times our goals are much loftier than we can actually accomplish. And, and then you will return and report and give you a place to be accountable. And in all my years of mentoring, I've been a you know professional mentor, I guess you'd say, for about 15 years. And in all my years of mentoring, this is the one tool that has um, resulted in the most success for change in people's lives. If you are accountable only to yourself, then you tend to, I mean, some people are very good at it, but you tend to make excuses or, um, you know, give up or, or, or whatever. But if you, if you know, you have to go back to your mentor and say, Hey, this week, I completely failed at this. Then you've, you've owned up to it, which is the first step, right? To improvement. And a good mentor is going to help you find the solutions to whatever roadblocks that you hit on the path. So that, um, that one component, you know, I, accountability partners will do this. Like if you want to work out, say, um, you know, you find somebody else who's going to work out, you just text each other, like that will greatly increase your chances of, of success in whatever it is that you're doing. So. Great. There's also a question, any recommendations on podcasts? Um, I have a very limited number of podcasts and I, I can recommend them um, mostly because I know the people who do them. Uh, Revolutionary Families, Amy and Kent Bowler are dear friends of mine and some of the best mentors I know. Um, they are, are fabulous and inspiring and are so real about you know, they've struggled. They've had, you know, they've got seven kids and they've had, if they've learned through their mistakes is what they like to say. Um, Realizing Genius by Heidi Christensen. She's another, another dear friend of mine. She's all focused on helping you find that view that your child is a genius. And then um, we just launched, we being Lemmy Leadership Education Mentoring Institute, we just launched a podcast um, that's all about leadership education and uh, find, also finding greatness. We're, we're very, you know, oriented towards helping education be about preparing your, your uh, teens for their life mission, the thing that they were born to do. So I'm almost out of time, but I have a bonus insight for you and we'll answer one of these numbers. But the, the bonus insight is just to create a sustainable life. Um, when I look back over the decades, I, I really think I was, um, you know, f- I don't know, running on adrenaline for way too much of, you know, way too many of those years. Um, I, I would admonish you to, to simplify and, um, Actually, I think I'm going to pick the number this time. I'm going to talk about number three. I think we have a shame, sort of an attitude towards hiring help. And I don't mean to act like everybody has all the money in the world. But if you have 20 extra bucks, um, you could hire a team to come once a week, right? And help catch up your laundry or deep clean your kitchen or whatever. Um, there have been a couple of times in my life when I've had a mother's helper 
um, for about three years. My when my two youngest were babies slash toddlers, um, and I had teens, and I was I had business, and you know what I mean. Like I was just very very busy. I had a mother's helper, and it it probably saved my life. You know what I mean. It probably saved my, at least my adrenal system. So. I say create a sustainable life because we have a tendency as women to think we can do everything and then to beat ourselves up when we don't. So if we can, you know, work on our systems, if we can try to find, you know, our perfectionism and and say, what's the source of that? And is this really actually important? I love that um, Marie Kondo has just come out saying, yeah, my house is messy now that I have kids. I mean, that is classic, right? So we need to create a sustainable life that allows us to um, be in it for the long haul. Because if we're, if we are overstressed, overscheduled, have too high of expectations of ourselves and others, then we're going to burn out and become, you know, some kind of a homeschooling statistic, right? Instead think this is my life. This is what I'm doing. I'm a, I'm a wife. I'm a parent, you know, like all your roles. I'm a, I'm a daughter and I'm a sister. You know what I mean? Like I have to put all these things into, do I say mother? I'm also, you know, I'm trying to say, Balance all your roles so that you can lit, you can do it for the long haul. Find something that's uniquely yours that has nothing to do with your children. That's that's what I would say. So I do hope that something I've said today makes a difference for you. It helps you to see that you don't have to be the expert. You don't have to be, you know, 20 people. You can just be you knowing that you love your children and that you have their best interest at heart. And that's sometimes enough, you know, like we can, we can add on other things as we're able, and we can um, certainly be engaged in our, in our children's learning, answering their questions and showing them the world. I would be happy to answer. I know that these are scheduled time slots, but I'd be happy to answer your questions in any of the, any of the following ways. You can email me, you can add me as a friend, um, you know, you can DM me. So Anyway, thank you for coming to the session and and I hope it was valuable for you. Latter-day Saint Home Educators is a nonprofit, all-volunteer organization dedicated to providing inspiration to homeschool families. We hope you enjoyed this recording. If you are interested in listening to more recordings or would like to participate in a future conference, please visit our website at ldshe.org.